What do you think the first symbol for a Christian was? When you think of a Christian symbol, we think of things like a cross or a crucifix, which is Jesus on a cross, or maybe a fish. But the first Christian symbol was a lamb on a shepherd's shoulders. This image was found in the catacombs of Rome from the early second century when Christians were being persecuted and executed for their faith because they wouldn't say Caesar was Lord. <laughs> they, they said Jesus was Lord. And it was illegal to create more explicit Christian art. They would have put, been put to death if they created explicit, explicit Christian art or symbols. So this Christian symbol of Jesus, the good shepherd, this is one from the, also the third century here. And then this is Gerald with, with his lamb, Jelly Bean. It's the image of Jesus carrying his sheep, the lamb, on his shoulders, the first symbol. And the fact, in, in fact, the, the parable of the lost sheep, it says Jesus left the 99 and he went after the one and he put the sheep on his shoulders and carried the sheep, the lost sheep back. <laughs> Trying again. <laughs> Thanks, Gerald. I did some research on sheep this week. Yeah, good job. <laughs> sheep are very dependent on the shepherd. In fact, they're helpless. Their wool can get so heavy that if it doesn't get sheared or plucked off, they can fall over and they can't get back up without shepherd's help. They're dependent on the shepherd. Second, sheep are hard-headed. My father-in-law has a story. When he was in his 20s, he went fishing with his dad up in Ingomar, Montana. How many people have been to Ingomar? So it's kind of middle of nowhere, Montana. And he had, there was a, um, a place where a stocked pond filled with big rainbows. And they set up, they, as they were going up there, they saw a ewe sheep stuck in the mud up to its nose. And it would have died. And so they didn't have the heart to keep going to, to fish. So they knew, oh, we're not going to be able to fish today. And my father-in-law had one of those military shovels. And his, and his dad had a rope. And they spent two hours digging this sheep out of the mud. And they were, at the end, they were covered head to toe in mud. So they get the sheep out. They get her on dry land. They start taking their clothes off to put on clean clothes. And guess what happens? The sheep, yep, you know. Sheep goes right back into the mud up to its neck. And they were super frustrated and they didn't have the time or energy to do anything about it. And so they left for the day. They went into Ingomar and had a burger and there was a sheep herder there. And they asked the herder, what's the deal with that sheep? And he said, it, it got hot. It was probably hot. Maybe it had a fever. And so they go into this mud, which is cooler. It cools them down and sheep die all the time that way. Sheep are hard-headed. Sheep also follow the herd. They follow one another as a herd. And if one goes off a cliff, like lemmings, a bunch of them will go off a cliff. They're also, they'll eat almost anything. So the shepherd has to protect them from eating uh, poisonous plants and direct them away to the, to the grass and the hay. And then they're also easy prey 
for predators. They can't defend themselves very well, and they need the shepherd for protection. So this week, we're looking at Jesus, the good shepherd from John 10. It's one of the last things Jesus says to his followers before he goes to the cross. In some ways, it's considered an exclamation point or the pinnacle of Jesus' teachings. And although it's one of the shorter, it's not like one of the shorter traditional parables, it's a little longer, and many modern scholars have begun treating it as a parable. It starts out with this story. Jesus tells a story of the shepherd, and then, this is one of my favorite ones, because he explains it. He explains what the parable means. So John 10, 1 through 10, the parable of the good shepherd. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. First, what is a sheepfold? At night when the sheep sleep, the shepherd protects them from predators by bringing them into a sheepfold. Where do you keep a lamb at night? In one of these. This is a sheepfold. They could be made of rock or wood or just a fence. And then there's an opening. And then look at that opening. The shepherd would sleep at night. Just imagine a shepherd leaning up against the wall there in the opening. The shepherd was the gate. So John 10 continued, anyone who sneaks over the wall of the sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name. The shepherd calls them by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him back because they know his voice. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. Those who go through him will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. It's often translated an abundant life. First, Jesus says what the metaphor is, and then he explains it. He says, I am the door. It's an entry, a portal, or an access to protection. He says, I'm the door for you to enter the kingdom. And he's really bold in this claim because he says later, no one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, I'm even more than what you think. He's telling his disciples and his followers, I'm more than what you think. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the way to abundant life. He says, listen to my voice. Follow me. And Jesus goes on. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for his sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. A hired hand will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. So there are two kinds of shepherds that Jesus is talking about. The hired hand and the owner. If you take a look at the story of Jacob in the Old Testament, Jacob was a great shepherd And he worked for his father-in-law, Laban. But there's a place where he says to Laban, if I lose any sheep, either if they're stolen or they're devoured by beasts, with my own hand, I'll repay you. But he doesn't say, I'll die for the sheep. 
He doesn't say, Laban, I'll sacrifice my life for the sheep. He's a hired hand. And you know the story of David, the shepherd. He's a great shepherd. And he defends the sheep from the lion and the bear. He'll, he'll take some sheep and he'll go after a lion or a bear and he'll kill it. But do you think he would have gone and done that if he knew he had to sacrifice his life for the sheep, that that was the only way to protect the sheep? No way. They were both great shepherds, Jacob and David, but they would not die for the sheep. The uniqueness of Jesus as the shepherd is that he lays down his life for us. He lays it down voluntarily. John 10, 17 says, I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. Jesus Christ is the one true shepherd who lays down his life for us and he sacrifices his life for his sheep. And he says, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Right after that, in John 10, 28, he says, I give them eternal life that they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, I've been in ministry for almost 25 years, since the, early ni- since the mid-90s, or as I've heard some kids say, the 1900s. <laughs> and there have been a lot of ups and downs. And if you work in the church, it doesn't matter how big or small the church is, there, you know somebody who's going through something hard at any moment. And then since the pandemic started in 2020, it feels like that's just multiplied. Now, when I was in high school in, in the mid-90s, I was wrestling with what a personal relationship with God was. It t- Jesus, in the parable of the lost sheep, he says, I'm going to leave the 99. I'm going to go after the one. Or the parable of the prodigal son, he's waiting for the son to return. There's all these examples of how he has a personal relationship with us. And I was just wrestling with this. What does this mean to have a personal relationship? What does that actually look like? I needed something tangible. And when I was in high school, one of my best friends was the pastor's son. And little insight into pastors, we get gifts like a scripture or a verse to put on our walls. That's kind of a common gift that people will give us. And if it doesn't fit really nice somewhere in the house, a lot of the time it'll end up in the bathroom. Okay. And that's like the place where if it doesn't fit, they put the scripture or the, or the Christian thing in the bathroom and the guest bathroom is the best one. And so we go, I'm in the guest bathroom, going to the bathroom in my friend's house and I'm wrestling with what does this relationship with God mean? And, a, and across the way is the Footprints poem. And I'd read it before, but I hadn't been wrestling with this relationship with Jesus idea. And so the, the summary of the Footprints poem is basically a person is remembering their life and they have this image of a sandy beach and there are two sets of footprints and there's their footprint and Jesus' footprints. And they walk along the beach and they, they see scenes from their life. And during the hard times, they notice that there's only one set of footprints. And he's really upset at God because he's like, why did you abandon me during the hardest times in my life? And God says, my precious child, 
I would never forsake you or abandon you. It was during the hard times that I carried you. And, and when I read that, I was like, that's it. That is, that's the image of Jesus. That is a big part of who he is. He goes after the one and he puts it on his shoulders and he carries it back. It rang true with me. And during the times when I struggle in life, when I felt lost, struggling to hear his voice, I've worked on learning to read his words and make them a guide for my life. He's the good shepherd. He's God. He's in control. No one can snatch the sheep out of his hand. We're secure. We're protected. And when we follow his voice and commands, he goes after the lost sheep. He picks them up and carries them back. And we need help. The stress and conflict and hard things in life, hard things happen. Jesus says, the storms will come. And when are you going to build your life on the rock of following my commands? When Jesus was talking about being a good shepherd, the main scripture that, the, that holds the promises of the good shepherd is Psalm 23. In fact, John 10 personifies Jesus as the good shepherd of Psalm 23. In other words, when Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, everything just clicked for his disciples to understand a part of who he, who he was. They would have thought, oh, you're the Psalm 23 shepherd. You're the good shepherd. He, and that means Jesus, if Jesus is my shepherd, I shall not want, it says. It's, Psalm 23 says, Jesus is the shepherd I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. His followers are thinking, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Their minds would have been open to who he was in a new way. They understand that Jesus will be with me in the valley of the shadow of death, and I won't be afraid. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies, and goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I've been looking at the scripture for over a year, Psalm 23, the good shepherd, both of them, for over a year. I wrote a song last fall, and I'm gonna share later, and at our last songwriting retreat, we wrote another song in February, and then Louis Giglio's teaching on Psalm 23 has been a big help in my understanding of that too. Psalm 23 is probably the most well-known scripture in our culture. It's recited at weddings and funerals. It's been preached about and painted. And there are uh, sculptures of a shepherd with a sheep. It's on memes scattered across social media. It's on movies like Titanic, and it's found in tons of songs from classical music like Bach to Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. <laughs> and for me, back in the church that I grew up in, that I grew up going to, we recited it every single week. And some parts would stick out to me, and some parts just went over my head. It didn't really make sense. That first line is what really got me a year, a year ago in September, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus is the Lord that will not leave us wanting. Jesus 
will not leave us wanting. He fulfills our needs. That idea that he doesn't leave me wanting is one that I identified as true. I knew up here, I believe that's true because I believe Psalm 23, but something in me wrestled against it. I think something wrestles against the idea that God provides for us or is going to provide for us. Something inside us wars against that idea. And so much of our culture sends the message, the message that we're on our own, that it's all up to us. And our mind wars against the idea that God wants to be our shepherd. And we're afraid. We get caught up in our fears and our anger and our control. Pressure, anxiety, addiction, divorce, depression, family collapse, all sorts of pain just bring us down and cause us to ignore the good shepherd who's right there with us. And then right in in the middle of the unthinkable, all that, the unthinkable happens. Jesus reaches out to us through the words of Psalm 23 and says, please sit down. Let me give you green pastures to eat. Lie down. I want to lay you beside still waters and restore your soul. He'll guide you. He'll guide us if we only listen to his words, to his voice, even in the dark places, even in our valley of the shadow of death. It says we won't fear evil because he's with us. He's close to our heart when our hearts shatter. He's close when we lose some sort of good thing that we'd hope for. We won't have to fear because he protects us. It says he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. And the key for us is to allow Jesus to shepherd us. Are you allowing Jesus to be your shepherd? See, all of us are shepherded, whether we realize it or not. But your shepherd might not be Jesus. It might be social media. It might be the news. No matter what, something is leading each of us. 2 Peter 2.19 says, People are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So maybe the culture is going to lead you, or the anthem of the world is leading you. But some of us in this room and online are saying, Nope, nobody leads me. I call all the shots in my life. I make all the decisions around here. And that's great. That means you're your shepherd. And you are going to have to lead yourself to the green pastures and still waters. Jesus says, if I'm going to be your shepherd, I have to be your God. Jesus doesn't say, come to me by being a little more ethical. Or by coming to church a little bit more often. Or reading the Bible a little bit more. Or praying a little bit more. He doesn't say that. Jesus says, you have to give me your all. Your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Or I can do nothing for you. Jesus says, if I'm going to be your shepherd, I have to be your God. But he's not expecting you to be perfect. He's just asking you to submit to his leading. To say, I drop my conditions for you, Jesus. I come to you. I'm going to make you 
the top priority in my life. Even though I'm going to make selfish choices, I, I'm going to value you as number one, and I'm going to keep getting better at that, at listening to your voice. Lead me, God. Psalm 23 says, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. How does David, who wrote Psalm 23, honestly say that he's not afraid? Well, the answer is because he, God promises to be with us. We acknowledge that there will be dark times, that there will be struggles ahead. We won't solve all the problems around us. We don't avoid every difficulty that comes our way. But we don't need to fear any evil because the good shepherd is with us. No matter what troubles you're walking through right now, the good, sh- the good news is not simply that God will help you. That's not the whole message. The message of the good shepherd is that God is with you, that God is with each of us. He wants to be your shepherd and shepherd you personally. He's with you in the sickness. He's with you at the grave. He's with you when you receive hard news. He's with you in the chemo ward or when you've been abandoned by someone. He's with you in the storm, in the trial, or your valley, and your good shepherd is right there in the midst of every difficulty you have. And it shifts your prayer life. It changes it from saying, God, I'm in the storm. Help me. Instead, you can pray, God, I'm in a storm. Thank you for being in the storm with me. You have got my back. How are we going to get through this, God? And God promises to lead us through the valley of the shadow of death. We can say, even though things are like this now, I know what you've promised me. I know you're with me and you're leading me. So how do we listen to his voice? Jesus' words are powerful, but how can we practically make them a part of our life? Well, David wrote Psalm 23, acknowledging that there are dark times in life and seeing how God has and will protect and guide us through these hard times. But he goes to the next level. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So how does that work? It means when you're in a hard place, God is with you, and he prepares a table in the presence of those enemies. The primary enemies that we combat every day are the enemies of our mind. The lies that we can believe. First Peter 5.8 tells us that a major tactic of the enemy, the devil, is to prowl around my life. First Peter 5.8, the devil prowls around my life like a roaring lion. And his main tactic, his only real game plan, is to tell us lies. Maybe I don't have the ability to stop the devil from prowling around my life, but according to Psalm 23, in Jesus' name, I have the ability not to give him a seat at my table. Jesus is saying, you have the ability and authority not to give the enemy a foothold in your thought life. You can identify his lies and recognize that that's not coming from my good shepherd. Here are a few of the lies. The first lie is the lie of comparison. The enemy is the worst kind of salesman. He tells you exactly what you want to hear and exactly what you think you're looking for. He's selling you lies. He's not selling you life. 
The lie of comparison is all around you. The trickery of comparison. Thinking that life will be better with this person or away from that person or in this new town, that that's the solution to all of your problems. Or if I live here, or if I just get that job, it's called the grass is greener syndrome. The, the, if you're having those kinds of thoughts, the enemy is at your table. You need to pause in the midst of what you're going through and say, these thoughts do not come from a trustworthy shepherd. And there are so many simple lies that we get sucked into. Another lie is the lie that you're not going to make it. That's not true. God says that he's with you, that no one can snatch you out of his hand. Or the lie that you're worthless. No. Jesus said, you are my beloved child. Or the or that life should be all about you. Jesus says he came to serve and sacrifice his life for others. That this is what life is about. Life isn't all about you. The lie that everyone is against you and there's no way out. Jesus is for you. And the one that's, that there's no way out is specifically referenced in 1 Corinthians 10.13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. It's straightforward. God is faithful. When you rely on him, he will provide a way out. The enemy does not have any new tricks. He keeps using the same ones. And as we grow better at listening to the voice of Jesus, we can identify the lies and recognize that that's not the voice of my good shepherd. When you allow Jesus to be your good shepherd, he steps into this stressed out culture and he becomes our replenishment guide. Here's another example. What do you think of in Psalm 23 when he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures? Does it look like this? Green pasture land looks pretty good. Like I can just lay down in that and eat, right? Well, in Israel, in the Negev, it's a desert. This is called Wilderness Midbar. It's pretty dry and desolate. It's also called Green Pastures. When we think of green pastures, we think of deep, rich grass, hay, alfalfa, like what we have out all around us in this valley. This is what the Israelites would have thought of when they heard, he leads me to green pastures, this image. From biblical time till today, shepherds didn't go to farm country to feed their sheep. The shepherd leads them to this rocky hill country. But you're probably thinking, where's the green grass? I mean, Jesus says green. <laughs> There's a small amount of moisture present coming off the nearby water, and they get a little bit of rain each year, and they get that moisture in the air, and that moisture convalesces on the edge of rocks into these little tufts of green. You can go to the next image. That's the green pasture. You can see the shepherd and the sheep, and there's little tufts of green. That's the image. When we think of green pasture, we think of the farmland around us. But Jesus doesn't lead us to green pasture where we just lie around eating green grass all day for the rest of our lives and we never move. 
That's not what Jesus is talking about. The shepherd looks for a hillside that's exposed to the wind or a small amount of rain, and they move the flock across that hillside, and it's a mouthful here, walk a few steps, another mouthful. It changes the meaning of green pasture for us. He provides for us daily. He doesn't just lay us down in a green field of alfalfa. I think of a, a lot of us think that life should just go smoothly. We're recovering perfectionists. And when life doesn't go smoothly, we think something's wrong. This isn't right. We want God to set us up in the green pasture so we can just lie around and eat. That's the good life. One rabbi said, worry is dealing with tomorrow's problems while you're in today's pasture. In the desert, you learn that the shepherd will get, what, get you what you need right now. 10 minutes from now, you got to trust the shepherd. That's green pasture. Just enough for now. If you're reading the reading plan with us, Psalm 112 this week said, those who are righteous do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to take care of them. Jesus' listeners would have thought of this. They would have known, as soon as he said, I'm the good shepherd, all of these things would have clicked in their mind that this is how it's going to work. Constant protection, guiding, leading, being with us, providing for us. And then it says, he restores my soul, I shall not want. I was really moved by the idea of I shall not want last September. And so I wrote, I helped, uh, I was a part of a group that wrote this song this idea that Jesus never leaves us wanting. He provides all that we need when we follow him as our good shepherd. So I wrote this song, and I'd been kind of sitting on it, and I wanted to share it with you today. It's on. shepherd I shall not want anything more than you make me surrender till I lie down into your
you are preparing table for me to come taste and see how sweet does you never leave me want love so extravagant there's nothing I lack palm of your hand holds my every longing you never leave me wanting you anoint my head with oil my cup overflows Surely your goodness and mercy already knows that you never leave me wanting. Love so extravagant, there's nothing I lack. The palm of your hand holds my every longing. You never leave me wanting. Have you made Jesus your shepherd? Are you listening to his voice? Are you ready to take real next steps to grow as a follower of Jesus? To learn his words and his voice so well that you can identify all the lies that you're hearing. Are you ready to base your identity and your life on the truth that you're his beloved son or his beloved daughter? that he'll protect you, that he's here with you, and that he'll make a way through this. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for the image that you are our good shepherd. We thank you for all that you've done in our life, that you are the shepherd that sacrifices his life for us, that you go after the one lost sheep. And when you find them, you put them over your shoulders and rejoice and bring them back to the herd, to your protection. God, we pray for everyone in here and everyone listening online that we would be able to hear your voice, that we would learn more of who you are Thank you for explaining this parable to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net.
Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.